Well, let's go ahead and get started. There may be people coming in, and that's, that's fine. There is a handout on the chair, so if you didn't get one, um, please be sure and, and do that. I hope that that will be helpful. This workshop session is on breaking the cycle, families recovery from sexual addiction, and we're going to spend probably 90% of our time talking especially about children, kids recovering from their parents' sexual addiction and about talking with your kids about addiction. So that's going to be our primary focus. We'll talk a little bit about uh, other family members and talking with them, but primarily we're going to focus on children's recovery from a parent's sexual addiction. Again, as you're coming in, there's a handout on the chair, so be sure and take that. If there's only one left uh, after the session, I will get more copies made and we'll have them, have them for you soon. So I apologize. You know, this is a wonderful problem. Everywhere we've already increased the number of handouts for all the sessions by 10 and there's still people coming. So this is, this is actually a cool thing and I appreciate your patience about that. Uh, we'll get them to you, I promise. I think for me, and I would believe that probably for for all of us. One of the saddest things about addiction is that it is truly a family disease and a disease that is passed on generation to generation. I know that as I look back in my own family, I can see sexual sin generation to generation to generation. And Another one of the questions that I'm asked so often is how do I help my kids? I want to help my kids, uh, particularly at workshops. After a participant has been through his or her own trauma egg and looked at all of these experiences of woundedness that they've been through in their life, and then they're starting to realize, oh, wait a minute, my kid's trauma egg would already look a good bit like mine. What do I do? How do I help my children? And very often it's hard to get them, okay, focus back on yourself for the moment. Uh, take first things first. Because what is the best way for an addict or co-addict to break the cycle and help children? It's to be as healthy as you can possibly be yourself. Um, health will beget health. And if it's an unhealthy parent, there's not a whole lot of chance that that person is going to be able to break the cycle. So the primary focus in the beginning is on that individual's own recovery. That's, that's where you start. Uh, it's biblical that the sins of the fathers are going to repeat from generation to generation. And we see that with addiction. If we're going to break the cycle, we want to create a healthy family, right? I mean, duh. So some of you have just come from that family systems presentation. Um, so I'll just put these up here quickly. Healthy families really talk. They really talk about things, including hard things about addiction. Healthy families, you feel. It's okay to feel what you feel. People accept responsibility. I'm not blaming somebody else. I'm saying this, this is what I'm responsible for. This is what I have done. And healthy families, they're going to teach, impart knowledge about sexuality, about addiction, about healthy choices, about healthy lifestyles. All of these are part of breaking the cycle. 
A healthy family is going to address problems. We're not going to die or minimize it or uh, shut down from it in some way. We're going to tackle it head on. It's going to be a safe place for all members. And one of the, the quickest and best ways to make your home unsafe for your children is for there to be addiction, active addiction present. It is leaving children ripe for all kinds of difficulties, including abuse, um, either within the family or uh, being a victim of someone else's preying on that loneliness and the uh, unsupervision of that child. So to provide safety is key. And children who are in homes of addiction are unsafe. And then practice intimacy. Practice, uh, our colleague Eli calls it showing up at the show up place. Being, being there emotionally and, and intimate in that way. So that's, that's where we're trying to get as we're talking with our children about addiction. But few things, I think, generate as much fear or as much questions at workshops as the idea of what do I do with my kids? How do I talk to my kids? After disclosure, it's the next hottest topic at any of the workshops. Um, what do I do to help my children? And I think many of the questions come from our fears. They come from, I think, good hearts. Uh, of a fear, I don't want to burden my kids with adult problems. You know, this is heavy stuff, this is shameful stuff, uh, maybe advanced knowledge kind of stuff. I don't want to burden my children. That's a, a worthy um, intention to not burden children. We're going to be talking about all kinds of ways to keep doing that and still have healthy conversations. But that's one of a, the biggest fears in talking to children. I think though this next one is bigger. I don't want to lose my children's respect. We hear so often from men who are fathers at a workshop, you know, my little girls think daddy hung the moon. And I just, I just can't bear to, to tell my children what my history has been or maybe what's going on with me. I'm afraid they won't respect me. Or we'll hear that from wives of male sex addicts, from female co-addicts of, you know, they just think daddy's wonderful or they already think daddy's such a jerk and so now we're going to add the sexual stuff to it. Um, they will lose, lose the respect of, our, of the parent. I can tell you that in the long term, there is nothing that generates respect, including from children, like honestly and vulnerably telling the truth. Yes, there may be that short-term, um, predictable, normal reactions of anger, of distance, of I don't, you know, I'm mad at you, I don't want anything to do with you, you hurt mom, you hurt dad, some of those kinds of, of phases, and those may last a long time, perhaps even years, if we're talking about children who are, are early teenagers or teenagers at the time of disclosure, there's very often going to be one of those reactions. And I think, again, it's some of the, the paradoxes and the choices that we have to make maturely in recovery. As Mark was talking this morning in his plenary, what are you willing to die for? And 
I challenge addicts and co-addicts alike. This is a time for sacrifice. This is a time for you to let go of the results and tell the truth. I know that in my own family, I would gain so much respect for family members who have personally struggled with sexual addiction if those men would just acknowledge the obvious and tell me the truth about their story. It, it would be so meaningful to me. Um, ultimately, the truth earns respect, and it's just, just critical. We're afraid, or addicts or co-addicts are afraid, I can't tell my kids, they'll tell somebody else. Probably they will. Probably they will. And I look these participants in the eye and I say, especially, you know, forgive me, but especially the doctors, lawyers, political kind of figures, ministers who, you know, pretty narcissistic to start with, oftentimes and are afraid, my kids will tell these awful things about me and I'm a public figure and it will ruin my reputation. And I will say, okay, so what is more important to you? Your precious reputation or the emotional and spiritual health of your children? Get a grip here, people. It is time for you to break the cycle. What I have also found, however, is that children are much less likely to talk widely to other people if they have a safe adult, like a parent, they can talk to. It was so awesome. At, at one of the workshops a number of years ago, uh, it was a workshop for spouses, and there was a kindergarten teacher, and she was just delightful. And as we were talking about this, and again, there's always just all kinds of comments and questions and things around this topic, and we're talking about kids will tell other people, and let me tell you, this woman stood up and she said, she wagged her finger at these other wives and she said, let me tell you something. Your children come to talk to me when they can't talk to you. And I believe that she's right. Um, we can tell our children how to have safe conversations with other people. We can give them boundaries about talking about these kinds of things. You know, we do that with, with all kinds of things. I mean, we tell our children and teach our children that it's, it's great and healthy to go to the bathroom, but you don't do that in the backyard. You know? We, we can help our children understand as well uh, healthy, safe places to talk about the dynamics that are going on in their family. The question that I get asked so often about talking with kids, do we have to do it? How do we do it? As I always ask, answer that question with a question, and it is this. Would it have been helpful in your family, addict or co-addict, if somebody had talked to you honestly and healthily about what was going on in your family? I've never heard anybody say no. I know for these children, I believe it would have made a lifetime of difference. This is my oldest brother, Larry, my middle brother, David, and this is little Marnie, and I'm about two and a half. Our family was already struggling with sexual addiction and co-addiction that was never talked about, is still not talked about um, 
among some circles of our family. It would have made, I think, all the difference in the world to have healthy conversations. So why do we disclose to children? And I'm using children in terms of any um, person who's still living in the home or even college age kind of years, but especially children who are through high school who are still living in the home. We'll talk about adult children in a little bit. Why talk to them? Kids already know. Kids know what's going on anyway, you know? They may not have the framework for it. They certainly almost uh, rarely have a, an accurate understanding, but they know something of what's going on. Kids are not stupid. When my daughter, and you'll hear from her in just a few minutes, was five years old, and we're sitting at the breakfast table eating Cheerios, and I had been involved at that point for at least a year in a sinful affair with the man who lived next door. And we're sitting eating Cheerios at breakfast one morning, and Elizabeth Ann says, Mommy, do you love Mr. So-and-so more than Daddy? Now, our children had never seen anything physically or certainly sexually inappropriate between me and this man next door. But children know. They knew this man was a huge part of our family's life. They knew that there was an energy there that was not present in my relationship with their father. Kids know. Um, so we can be helpful to them if we talk about what's going on. I mentioned it earlier, the truth builds trust. Yes? How young do you go? We're going there. How young do you go? We're going there. You perhaps will be surprised. Talking with children about tough issues models problem solving. Again, wouldn't it have been wonderful for addicts and co-addicts to learn in their homes it's okay to ask for help? What a concept. <laughs> that it's okay to address really difficult problems, and here's, here's how to do that. Um, talking with your children about addiction and co-addiction models problem solving. Now, what are some reasons why not to disclose to children? Those are about as important for parents to understand as the reasons why we need to talk to children. I think the first one is to get children's support. If I'm disclosing to children or an addict or co-addict in this tearful, emotional basket case way, and my goal is for my kids to come up and pat on me, oh, mommy, you really are a wonderful mommy. You're okay. You're, you're a good mommy. That is not healthy. It's called emotional incest. So to get children to try to take care of parents emotionally is not a healthy reason. To in some way enlist the child's help in fixing the problem is not a healthy reason. These are adult problems. They need adult solutions. Uh, very often in addictive homes, there are already kids running around trying to fix the problems as best they know how. It's not their responsibility and something we need to tell them. To badmouth the other parent. Let me tell you what your dog-faced father has done, you know. This is why I asked him to move out of the house. You, know, you can tell the truth minus all the, the commentary. Uh, so sadly, I see very often one parent or the other parent is trying to put these kids in the middle, and they're using 
sometimes disclosure is a way to do that. And maybe it's the addict. Well, let me tell you what a witch your mom really is. You know, that's why I did these things. Any, any man would. Um, those are not healthy reasons. To put children in the middle, again, that's um, obviously not <coughs> healthy. Now, how do we do this specifically? What are some boundaries that we need about disclosing to children? Again, especially younger children. The child's emotional safety has got to be paramount. That's the most important thing. And that takes thought and planning, but mostly, again, it takes an emotional presence and a spiritual surrender to God. By children's emotional safety, what do I mean? What do you think, especially younger children, is going to be the first question they're going to ask when they hear about some kind of a problem that's going on between their parents? Are you going to get a divorce? What's going to happen to me? That's a critical question. It's, it's that existential fear of children, of I'm going to be abandoned. Who's going to take care of me? What's going to happen to me? And children absolutely must be told kind of the next breaths after an initial uh, disclosure about the problem. Look, sweetheart, mommy and daddy, if this can be the case, if it's not both parents, then at least the one that's doing the disclosing, I will always be here for you. I will always be a part of your life. I will always take care of you. I will always keep you safe. And ideally, both parents are saying this. No matter what happens about our marriage, we will both always love you, be a part of your life, take care of you. You will not have to choose. I hope you, I want you to continue to love your mom just as much as you do. That emotional safety. Children need to be told, especially young children, this is not your fault. Children believe that, that the bad things that happen are their fault. I thought it was my fault that my mother died. You know, from an adult perspective, you think, well, that's kind of silly. But for a three-year-old, for a ten-year-old, you don't have the framework for understanding those things. And particularly, very often in an addict to co-addict household, there's lots of conflict and lots of fighting. And a lot of that's often bleeding over into the kids. You know, I'm screaming at my kids because of my own stuff. And so kids are already kind of traumatized and think, well, mom and dad already think I'm bad. So, so this, this is my fault. To explain that, actually verbally say those things is really important. Never, ever tell a child something that has not been disclosed to the other spouse. Oh, my goodness. Again, what is set up for emotional incest and for problems later on? Don't talk with children about things the parents haven't already talked about. Yes? As you're working with people who may be in a situation where you know, they're disclosing for the first time to you as a counselor, um, what happens if they go home and the spouse is not having anything to do with them? Um, you know, and they, you can't tell your kid that I'm always, always going to be here for you because your spouse is moving away and not letting you have a, you know, I mean, you can still have a fight for yeah. custody or whatever, but, you know, you don't want to be dishonest with the kid either and, and say, oh, you know, we're always going to be here for you. Right. I may not be able to. And, and how, how can you do that 
and say those things to mm -hmm. your children in a way that... I think it is an important point to tell the truth. So if the question is, are mommy and daddy getting a divorce? The answer is either yes, if that's where it is, no, if as a couple you have committed, we really want to work this out, or I don't know. I hope not. My heart is to, that uh, we'll be able to work out our difficulties, but I'm not going to make you a promise I can't keep. I still think that you can say to a child, even in one of those really nasty kind of situations, you know, I will always love you, and as much as I'm able, I will always be a part of your life. Um, and, and that commitment is, is important. And ultimately, in these awful kind of situations where one parent is withholding visitation um, with another parent because of whatever reason, I think kids ultimately figure that out. Now, maybe they're 20 or 25, but I think kids ultimately figure out that, that there's been a power struggle going on here. <clears throat> I believe that it is best with children who are in the home to talk with them all at once. You've got three kids, you talk with all three kids at the same time. Now, you're not going to have three kids at the same age. We're coming, I promise, to age-appropriate disclosure. But what I found that will happen is that the information that's too much for the younger ones just goes over their head anyway. I mean, we do that all the time. Uh, but for the children to initially hear this at one time, I think is really, really important. Because you don't want to create this secret keeping environment in the home that's part of the whole difficulty. Um, so to talk with all of the children at once. And then the older ones are going to have lots more questions and you can talk with them further <coughs> in answering their questions uh, in future times. Maybe even later that, you know, at that same setting. Okay, you know, Susie, do you have any more Anything else you want to talk about this? And Susie's saying, no, I want to go watch Sesame Street. Okay, that's fine. And you stay and talk with, with the rest of them. Yes? You usually have children hear back with the parent what they understand. Ah, a great comment. Ted says he usually has children share back with the parent what they understand about this conversation. George? Uh, at the other end of the spectrum, the children are adults, and uh, some of them are married. What's your idea about the spouses being present? We're going there and talking about um, older children, adult children, in a few minutes. So <laughs> let me postpone that for then. Now, how specifically do you do that? With children, again, especially younger children, this lessens as the children age, disclosure is a process. It's not an event. We start at one point. And we don't tell them the whole thing to a five-year-old. We tell them in five-year-old language what a five-year-old can understand. And they're going to <laughs> learn more about this story as they grow up. Uh, I know that, <clears throat> that in, in my own family, in my own personal recovery, that we started in disclosure. Our children were six and eight when I entered recovery. And I'll, I'll tell you a good many more examples and more about that. But at that point, we told them some basic information. And our children asked more questions as they got older. Through different years, um, our daughter, Elizabeth Ann, she goes by EA. I gave her this great Southern double name, you know. And she got to be second grade, and she said, 
my name is EA, and she's been EA ever since, and more power to her, um, was in eighth grade, and she came home one night, and we were chatting during the news time. It's a process we, we did for years and years till she went to college, and sometimes she'll still call me on the phone at, during the news just to chat. And so we're s sitting on her bed just kind of chatting about her day, and the news is playing in the background, and she says, Mom, STDs. I know you had cervical cancer. Was that caused by HPV? And I said, yes. She said, that's what I thought. We were talking about that in health class today, and, and I figured that had to be the case. Now, let me tell you about what so-and-so said. Just, you know, just very average, natural, ongoing process. When they were eight years old, and I explained to them about an STD, and that it was caused by, um, that caused my cervical cancer, which they had been aware of that I had when they were very, very young. No. But when we created an environment where it's okay to talk and it's okay to ask questions, those kinds of disclosures are coming out. That's what I mean. It's a process and it's not an event. Ideally, and by the way, this rarely happens, ideally, I think it's best for both parents to talk with the children, all the children living in the home at the same time. Very often, one parent or the other doesn't want to disclose to the children. And I see it about frequently one way or the other. Um, addicts, you know, I don't want to tell because it's my dirty stuff. And sometimes the co-addicts, well, you know, I don't want to tell just because I'm afraid the children will tell somebody else and this is so embarrassing to me that I don't want anybody else to know. And so that one or the other of the parents really refuse to be a part of this process. It is a time that I really encourage parents to go ahead with disclosure, even if you're the only one who will talk. And I encourage a, a parent to say to the other parent, I've really been working on this in counseling. Uh, I'm, I'm certain that the healthiest thing for our children is that we need to have some level of conversation about what's going on in the home. I want you to be a part of that. If you choose not to be a part of that, I want, you know, take, set a time frame, a week to think about it. But if at that point you choose not to be a part of that conversation, and I'd love for us to work with a therapist on how to make that a safe conversation, I am going to talk with our children at an age-appropriate level about what's going on in our home. You know, kids need one healthy parent, and, and that's better than, than no discussion at all. But ideally, both parents are there, and beyond just both parents being there, let me go ahead for, for now and we can take um, questions later. Talk with them all at once. Give immediate reassurance. We've talked about that. Um, beyond both parents just being there, both, ideally, almost never happens, are owning their own stuff. Here's the addict saying, you know, um, I've been involved in looking at internet pornography and um, I, I know that that's a problem for me and I'm getting help about it. And the co-addict saying, you know, and I know that I really haven't been um, here and really, you know, here emotionally because I've been out shopping all the time and working all the time. That was the way I've been coping with what's going on. And both parents are saying we're getting help and we're trying to change these unhealthy patterns of behavior. That's what I mean about they're each owning their own stuff. This isn't just about the addict. 
This is, this is about the whole pattern of what's going on. That almost never happens. But I might as well tell you the ideal uh, in case you've got really teachable, courageous clients. Give immediate reassurance about what's going to happen with the kids. People will always be there for them. Very young children, they just want to know the practical stuff. What does this mean? Well, Johnny, this means that every Monday night, Daddy's going to go to a meeting to talk with other people about how to be a better daddy and how to be a better husband. And I'm going to be here with you. And every Tuesday night, Mommy's going to go to a meeting to talk with other people about how to be a better mom and a better wife. And Dad's going to be here with you. And every Friday night, Mom and Dad are going together to meet with the other group of couples. And Miss So-and-so, their standard babysitter, is going to be here with you. That's what kids want to know. Kids want to know the practicals like, for right now, uh, this was the case in, in our home, I spent nine months sleeping on the couch. And we just said to our kids, they were six and eight, mom is going to be sleeping on the couch. So if in the night you get up and you need somebody, then if you need daddy, he's going to be in our bedroom. If you need mom, I'm on the couch. Okay? Okay. You just very simply tell them, tell them what's, what's going on in that kind of practical ways. You answer their questions. If there are, again, different ages of children, a question is so um, difficult for you. Ken in the earlier session was talking about same-sex issues, and a teenager asks about something like that in their young children. You might could say, you know, I'm willing to talk to you about that, but let's, let's do that later. But in general, your children will lead you into what they want and need to know. So just answer their questions and follow their lead. <clears throat> and age-appropriate information. See, I promised we were going there. What is age-appropriate? Even very young children do better with more information, not less. Very young children. What is very young children? Two. A two-year-old can understand you know mommy and daddy have been fighting a lot. Well, say it's a male addict. Daddy broke some really important promises to mommy. And, and if I'm doing this closing, and I'm upset about it, and I know daddy's upset about it, and we're getting help around those problems, that's age appropriate. You, you explain to kids what getting help means. A two-year-old understands, I'm going to a special kind of talking doctor to to get help in talking about what, what um, I need to do to be a better mommy, to be a better wife. Two-year-olds understand that. If they say, well, what kind of promises? Again, your children are going to ask what they need to know. You say to them in this situation, again, ideally the addict is there and now he's going to own his stuff. He's going to say, well, it was looking at pictures of women without their clothes on, on the, on the computer. Two-year-old knows that you've got a computer, right? They know what the TV is. They know what a computer is. And you can say, that was wrong. I should only look at mommy that way. And it was wrong, and it's hurt her a lot, and it's hurt me, and, and I want to stop, and I'm getting help about that. It's age-appropriate disclosure. You can also give them words, give them information. We do this all the time that they may not understand at the time, but they'll grow into. If they say, looking at naked pictures, 
what is that? You can say, well, it's called pornography. Now, we explain all kinds of things to a two-year-old, a five-year-old, that they don't understand electricity, immunizations, all kinds of stuff. They don't understand it really then, but they have some clue, and as they get older, they grow into an understanding of those kinds of things. We can do that uh, around sexual addiction. Give them information that they can understand at, at the time. I think you start with acknowledging the obvious. Maybe that's mom and dad have really been fighting a lot. Like, duh. You know, dad moved out. Like, duh. Um, mom's been going to counseling. I mean, whatever, wherever they are, whatever information they have, you can start with acknowledging that obvious. And our family disclosure started around um, my family of origin issues and not first around addiction issues. Meaning, our kids were six and eight. I, I've got to tell you, it, <coughs> this is the first time I put this particular presentation on PowerPoint. And as I was going through family pictures to to find one of our children at six and eight. It was very, very sad for me. These were babies. And when I looked at the pictures of my acting out years and saw just how young they were, uh, it was really convicting for me. This is Matthew. Um, this is at his sixth birthday party, which was about a month after uh, this first disclosure that I'm going to tell you about. There's EA. She's eight years old. And our disclosure first happened, I was sitting reading to the children uh, as they were going to bed. I did a few things right, even in my active addiction. I don't think I was emotionally present, but I was physically sitting there reading to them. And we read Bible stories at night. And one night we were reading the Bible story of Jesus saying, let the little children come to me. And I just started to cry. And my kids were like, Mom... You know, what's the matter? And I said, well, you know, when I was your age, I didn't have a mom to pull me in her lap and read to me. And I've just been really aware of that more recently, and I'm feeling really sad about that. And I'm so glad that I get to be your mom. And my kids, again, this one you're going to hear from her, said immediately, well, Mom, you didn't have Papa Doc either, my father. They knew that he was not emotionally present, even in his relationship with them. Kids know that's how it started. Disclosure continued after that point. Of, there came a, a day very, very shortly after this birthday party. Uh, as, as I'm in recovery, I explained to them about going to counseling and, and that kind of thing. I did have these conversations with uh, our children by myself. Uh, David was not a part of these conversations in, in the early days of our own journey. And the kids wanted to go play with this man next door. Again, he was a huge part of their lives. <clears throat> he was quite a central figure to them. In many ways, he was a father figure to them um, because of David's struggles in dealing with my addiction. And so they wanted to go play with him, wanted to go visit him. And it was one of my first attempts at getting sober from that relationship. Uh, and that day, I happened to be fairly strong in that resolve. 
And I said, I'm sorry you can't go over there and play. I mean, this was new. It was always encouraging. Let's go play, you know. Let, let me go over there with you. Um, and they were, like, surprised. Well, why not? And I took a deep breath, and I said, well, because mom's had a relationship with him that wasn't right. And that's one of the largest things that I'm working on in counseling, and it's, it's really the reason that Dad and I have been fighting and... and Things have been so yucky around here. We were not physically separated in the house yet at that point. Um, and I said, it, it wasn't right. And I'm trying to stop that relationship. And it means we're not going to be hanging out with him the way we did in the past. They're six and eight. And they go, hmm, I want to go over there. And I'm like, I know that. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that my sin and my difficulties is now having an impact on you. It's okay to be mad with me that you can't go, but we're not going. And so she comes back, Elizabeth Ann, the next day. And Matthew was kind of around, but he really wasn't. It was her question. Mom, wrong relationship. What's that? I said, well, it's called an affair. She said, hmm. And she said, okay. And I said, an affair is having a relationship with him that I should only have had with your dad. And it was wrong. Okay. Third day. She comes back, mom, an affair. Is that that sex stuff like we see on TV? <laughs> now, we're talking standard, non-cable television. Did they understand affair meant intercourse? No. Did they understand intercourse at six and eight? They didn't, not yet. That's what I mean. I'm giving them information that they're ultimately going to grow into. And I said, yes. Okay. They're asking questions as we go along. That's age-appropriate disclosure. Children understand a lot more than we think they do. And I believe that it is helpful even to give children names. Pornography, sexual addiction. Oh man, people go, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to tell my five-year-old, my seven-year-old that the problem here in our home is sexual addiction? The Bible talks about the <clears throat> demons and they were legion and they gave them a name. I think there is power in that information of a name, and it is my shame that keeps me from wanting to give young children accurate information like this name. Are they going to understand it? No, not fully. But we would tell a child, um, the problem is that mom's an alcoholic. Do they fully understand that? No, but they'll grow into it. And again, this takes enormous courage, but I think we are never going to break the shame and the stigma around sexual addiction until we begin talking about it, including with our children. Uh, and that giving them a concrete name is, is important. I really believe that. Um, these children now, this is at Christmas, are uh, Elizabeth Ann is 21. A senior in college. She's engaged to be married. 
I'll tell you all more about that when I speak in the morning. Matthew is 19. He is a freshman at Ole Miss University. Uh, and it has been such an amazing blessing to talk with our children about addiction. And in case you don't really believe me, uh, provided I figure out how to make this work, I want scene selection, okay. I want you to hear Elizabeth Ann talking about talking to your kids. Where is play? That maybe? outside of my relationship with every choice that you make. You're coming later. Consequences can include Okay, thank you. You see that one tomorrow. The relationship with our children is one of the greatest joys of my life today. It's not going to totally happen. Our children still struggle with with different things. But as much as I can with God's help, this hell is going to stop with us. And it is just such a blessing. I promise I didn't tell her what to say. Um, it's just so much a part of, of our family and the conversations that we have. Uh, when she's in Nashville and we're having a workshop, she comes to talk with the people about talking to your kids. And so as we were planning this conference, I said, gosh, EA, I sure wish that you could be here. She's going to be home next weekend. Um, to talk with them 
And she says, well, I'll just do a video. I'm like, awesome. So her fiance is the videographer, um, and she did the video about, about talking with your kids. You deserve to see Chris. That's her fiance. Um, now, talking to adult children. Again, I do believe that addicts and co-addicts need to talk with children, no matter how old they are, including adult children, about addiction and co-addiction. Why? Well, first is because this affected them, you know, unless acting out has totally started after these children left home. And frankly, people, I just still don't believe that was a very healthy environment to start with. Maybe you just didn't start acting out till these people were grown. These kids are affected. And so again, part of their healing journey can begin when a parent will accept responsibility and foster healthy dynamics and talk about what was happening in the home when they were young or even what's happening uh, today in a parent's life if the kids are outside the home. Disclosure with adult children is basically a one-time event. You can just say, you know, I really want to tell you about things that have been going on uh, at home between your mom and me. And you obviously can give them, you know, different kind of language. You can talk about internet pornography, you can talk about affairs, you can talk about visiting prostitutes or massage parlors. You give them categories of information like that. Categories. What kind of acting out? Big categories. Um, how long? This is something I have struggled with for most of my life, or this is something that uh, I've seriously struggled with the last four years since we got internet hookup at the house. How long? You tell them that kind of basic information. Uh, and I think one of the real reasons that you tell them is you're modeling again healthy problem solving. You're helping that adult to realize, hey, I can ask for help as well. Or so often it happens that, uh, say, a mom will talk to kids about her own struggles with sexual relationships, and it gives those adult children an opportunity to say, oh, man, I'm so glad that you're willing to talk with me about this because you know what? I am struggling too. I know I need help as well. Uh, the sins of the fathers are repeated generation after generation. And if an ad adult or parent in a home has struggled, I guarantee you, you have impaired children. No matter how old they are, they're struggling with something. And it's, it's giving them permission to begin to deal with it. Again, you can basically give them the whole picture at once. I do not think that it is ever appropriate to give um, any children no matter what age, but including adults, any kind of graphic information. They, they don't need to know that. Um, but to, to lay out what, what the situation has been can usually happen in one kind of setting. I think it's important to talk with adult siblings within the general same time frame. Again, I don't think that it's necessary to, you know, would you fly in from California and would you come from Atlanta and here let's have this big family powwow. Uh, that's just not practical and, and I don't think necessary. But don't talk to one kid, the favored one, or the one that you know is somehow on your side, or whose the role it is to be the family caretaker. And, well, I haven't talked with your brother and sister yet. 
Again, that's setting up the same kind of unhealthy dynamics uh, that was part of all this difficulty in the first place. So as soon as reasonably possible, even if these conversations are on the phone, within just a, a very short uh, time, matter of days at most, talk with all of the adult children. Yes? And um, should the other partner be part of Be the present, yes. Again, I, ideally, that both <coughs> parents are owning their own stuff, you know, and that's so much harder for the co-addict. Uh, I hope that you, um, if you don't have a good bit of experience in working with spouses, go hear Eli and Angela Thompson, another colleague who works with us, talk about working with spouses, working with co-addicts today, because it, it's really a tough thing. But if these two parents are still together, then ideally that, that they will talk with adult children, even if it's on the phone, and each is owning their own stuff and affirming um, this is either what we're doing about this situation. I think it's okay to ask adult children, we would so appreciate your prayers, uh, but not, again, to get into some emotional incestuous of we want you somehow to fix this and take care of that. One of the things that I've found really helpful is if you're working with somebody and they're needing to disclose to actual adult children, when they make those phone calls or when they have those conversations, to be able to say, I haven't talked to yes. these two yet. I'm going to call them tomorrow. Yes. Call, you know, so that the other children aren't worried about Oh, I don't know. Right. Yes. Uh, a very good point is that obviously sometimes you're not talking with them all in the same room at the same time. So to say, I've not yet talked with your sister. I plan to do that. I'm trying to reach her. I plan to reach her tonight within just the next day or two. I would appreciate if you would wait to talk with her about it and let me be the one to tell her. Uh, I'd be glad to call you and tell you that I've talked with her. You know, if you want to do that, or you're welcome to call me and ask, have you been able to have that conversation? Um, but before they start talking with each other, that's a very helpful thing. If the children are married, should you talk with the spouse too? I believe that if children are married or engaged, that it is most helpful to involve the spouse in that process. Again, that adult child is bringing all this baggage into that relationship, and it could create... Um, opportunities for health within that own coupleship as well. Um, I, I do think that that's, that's an important... Talk to them together. To them together. Yeah, talk to them together. Yes? Just recently I had one, uh, a gentleman approach me and, and I was not sure, but I do know timing is critical in disclosure. Um, is this something you do coming out of the gate? Is this something you try to get some at least some restoration in your own personal life before you disclose? Um, I think it needs to be done much sooner rather than later. The only times I discourage someone to wait about disclosing to children is if they are so impaired themselves that I fear they can't do this without emotionally incesting the children or without bad-mouthing the other parent or doing some pretty serious harmful way like that. Uh, and at that point, I really coach them about talking with the kids. I think it is just so important that, that I want the addicts and co-addicts to do this really early in the process, especially if kids are living at home. And if I doubt that they're mature enough to do it, I invite them. Let's have a family session. Let's talk about what's it like to be in this family. Uh, if you went with Mark's um, pre-conference on satire and on sculpting, 
it's amazing what kids will tell you if you say, if you were going to um, put mom, say, in this imaginary room, where would you put her? And they'll use a pillow or something and put mom there. Now, if you were going to put dad in this room in relationship with mom, where would you put him? Your children know. If you were going to put you, where would you put you? They will show you what the dynamics are like in this household, and they know. Um, so I think it's very important to do it as soon as, as there's the chance that it can be done in a remotely healthy way. Again, it's not going to happen where both parents are taking full responsibility for their stuff. That's often years down the road. But at least if they can agree and be coached, okay, I'm at least not going to say what a slime butt you are, you know. I'm, I can't own my own stuff here very often for a co-addict, uh, and they may have no clue they've got stuff to own. But at least, can you just be present in this situation and restrain yourself from adding all of your commentary to it, that it needs to be sooner rather than later? Yes, Mark? And I often do two-part details. He's in a better place to do it or own it. So right. Right, with children? With adult children. Yeah, with adult children. Okay. Okay, that's good. Yes? I found in my experience families uh, heighten priority quick how the power play and separate the parent from the new parent. Right. The right. Yes, I, I would agree. And for the purposes of the tape, the suggestion was in a blended family, have both uh, the parent and step parent involved in this process of talking with kids about what's going on. Let's think briefly about disclosing to other family members. So many times people say, well, do I have to tell my in-laws? Or, you know, do I have to tell these other kinds of people? And, and what I really believe and encourage is, especially earlier in the process, we only have an obligation to talk with the extended family if they're safe. Why put an addict or a co-addict in the position of getting bowled over and knocked down and traumatized again by sharing very vulnerable information with a parent? Um, I'm talking about adult children here. There's this 40-year-old couple that are struggling with sex addiction. I'm talking with their parents when their parents have no clue, no framework, no understanding, and are not going to be helpful. Now, does that mean you lie? No. You can treat them like they're two and say, Obviously, Mom, you know that Johnny and I have been having difficulties. If Mom asks, I choose not to share with you any of those particulars right now. I would so appreciate your prayers. I know you're concerned about me. You're stating the obvious, but you're not giving unsafe people a club to hit you over the head with. My prayer and hope would be that as, as this couple or this individual gets healthier, uh, that systemically that perhaps will translate to different generations and an adult parent would be able to at least have some level of conversation about what's going on. Uh, at least perhaps a disclosure of, um, you know, I've, I've struggled myself so much with pornography and it's been so wonderful in my life and it's helped our marriage so much to get help about that. You're not, don't look for support for people who can't be supportive, but it is possible to give them some information. Boundaries around disclosure, that's what I'm talking about. You can say, for me, I had to write it down and keep it by my telephone and practice saying so that I was prepared when those phone calls came from family members or from sweet 
loving church members about the craziness that was going on. So here it is. Oh, Sister Smith, I, I know you're concerned about me and I so appreciate that. Yes, there are obviously difficulties that are going on with me and that are affecting David. We're get, I want you to know we're getting help about that, but I choose not to share with you any more of, of what those particulars are, but I so appreciate your prayers. Thank you for calling. Goodbye. You know, you don't have to tell um, things that, that aren't safe to unsafe people. Uh, again, with family members, disclosure is often more of a one-time event. What about other people? You know, who else can I tell? It is always okay to tell your story to safe people for the purpose of getting support and encouragement. You do not need your spouse's permission to tell your story. Very often an addict will say, don't you tell anybody. Well, like, duh, they don't want you to tell anybody. And for a spouse to tell the story means telling at least the information. There's been a struggle in our coupleship about pornography or about different kinds of sexual unfaithfulness. That's all you got to say. Then you can say, and here is my, here's where I am just so crazy. Here's what, what I'm going through, what I need help with. And then keep it focused on your own story. You do not need your spouse's permission to tell your story to save people for the purpose of getting support. So Marnie, a caveat to that would, would be that you would need the permission if it was more of a public. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you do need a spouse's permission. It needs to be a coupleship decision to go very public with your story. <coughs> and, and actually, Brent, that was quite convenient because um, that gives us a, a segue into the final things that I want to share with you. In our own journey, I have chosen to be very public with my story. Obviously, that was something that David and I talked about and something that he was okay with. Uh, we didn't get our children's permission because they were, again, so young uh, as we began this journey. But we've talked about it in different times and in different ways through the years. Part of what's happened in, in our family is that as I have grown in the field and become more widely known, there have been a number of opportunities to do some major type of media through the years. And we would have a family meeting about that. And EA was always, yeah, mom, go for it. She's a lot like her mom. And Matthew was always, uh, no way. You know, I'm, I'm great mom, things are so much better in our home, but I, no, not going there. And we always chose to respect that. Um, last year, on about this time, February 22nd of 2004, our story, along with Mark and Debbie Laser's story, was on Dateline. Uh, and that was an opportunity that, that came up, and as we're thinking and praying about that and talking with different support people, obviously, the first people we needed to start talking with before we even began to consider whether or not this was something we wanted to do was our children. And EA was home um, from college for a weekend, and you know Matthew was a senior in high school, so he was still living at home. And so at supper, I'm sharing with them, you know, here's a possibility. Now, what do you, what do you guys think? And again, EA predictably is go for it. But Matthew, he's a senior in high school. He's 18 years old. 
uh, really a popular kid in his high school, really a great kid, a leader. And I frankly thought that he'd say no. And he was quiet for a minute, and I said, well, Matthew, you know, you haven't told us what you think. Where, what's going through your head? Where are you? He said, Mom, I think you should do it. I'm like, really? I said, yeah, you ought to do it, Mom. I said, now, Matthew, this is Dateline, you know? I can tell my story at Christian counseling conferences, and none of your friends are ever going to read that. None of your friends' parents probably read Christianity Today, or none of your buddies do, so... You know, all the talking I've done before isn't really affecting you, per se. This is Dateline. You understand, you know? Your buddies may see this. Their parents are going to see it. Are you sure you know what you're agreeing to? And he said, Mom, my good friends, the kids I hang around with, the kids I'm good friends with, they all know our family story. The other people... I don't care what they think, and I think it would do so many people so much good. That's a blessing. When Dateline aired, we, it was marvelous. There was a group of about 100 people who gathered here at Woodmont Hills, down there in room 205 in our plenary session room, to be supportive of me and David as this show aired. Mark and Debbie are with a group of, of people in Minneapolis. And, of course, EA was at college, and so she wasn't here. And after the tape is over, and talk about scary, they filmed probably at least a dozen hours of footage between Mark and Deb and me that they're condensing into 22 minutes of play. And they did a marvelous job. There were so many people praying about that. Uh, but when it was over, you know, really soon, we wanted to connect with EA, so we, you know, go out in the hall and call her on the cell phone and... I happened to be the one on the phone first, and I said, EA, and she goes, Mom, and I heard in the background, Miss Faree, woo, 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 I said, what is that, and she said, we're having a party, I've invited all, all my friends over to watch you on Dateline, and I thought, oh my goodness, Who, you know, and you could hear somebody saying, yay, Miss Faree, and clapping, and somebody saying, pass the popcorn, people, what a blessing. What an absolute blessing. I wouldn't trade it for the world. It is possible to break the cycle. Not perfectly, not totally, but I know that our family today is so much different from anything I ever experienced, that David ever experienced, and I think our kids are going to be able to perpetuate more health than dysfunction as they also learn and grow and take their own journeys. It's such an important part, part of the journey that, that really is, is a marvelous redemption of a lot of pain. I so appreciate your, your being here and letting me share with you today.